sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. So here we go. Welcome to panel discussion seven. We're going to be talking about the London attacks today. And I have with me Sarah Ager, who is a British Muslim convert. And I have Jason Bliggy, who works uh, right around close to where the attacks happened. I thought that they could help provide a valuable perspective. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hello. Thank hey, you very much for inviting me. Yes, me too. Thank you for having me back again. Yeah, Jason was just on on panel five, so some listeners are already familiar with you, Jason. What's your Twitter yeah. handle, guys, just in case people want to check you out on Twitter before we move along? So mine is uh, at Liggy, so that's L-I-G-G-I. Uh, mine is Sarita Ageman, nice and complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me, guys... Jason, you 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 are right there. So were you there on the day of the attack? No, I wasn't. I wasn't at work on the day, so I was at home. Um, I was working from home on that day, but I was in uh, on the Friday. So it, it happened on a Wednesday, I think. So I was in two days later. Okay. And did you notice like a big difference in the way the city was after? Like, because I heard so much from. People saying the city was cowed into silence and fearful and yeah, I mean, no, not not at all. Uh, London doesn't doesn't really isn't affected by these things. We we are quite good at just getting on with it. I, I honestly don't think that you would have noticed that anything had happened if you if you'd come in, even uh, even around the area. I suspect maybe there'd be some. I, I hadn't been up there, but maybe there'd be some like you know BBC crews or something doing some interviews. But I I, I didn't notice any different. Everything was normal on the tube. I, I did see a tweet actually that was saying um, uh, it was a picture of people on the tube all looking at their phones and all looking all sort of like serious. And it was like, oh, you know, London is uh, reeling from the attack. Everyone's just looking down at their phones. And, and the person just said, that's literally what the tube looks like every day. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. Like no one talks to each other on, on the tube. It all looks like that all the time. So, so no difference really. Right. So your subway is kind of like ours. Everyone just staring at their phones. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, so Sarah, I know you're you're in Italy, right? Yes. Yeah. So I I got the news um, on my phone, and I was in the middle of work, so I couldn't really um, look at any of the news. I just knew that there had been an attack. Um, and obviously, anytime you see news about an attack um, and or a terrorist attack, you um, have an emotional response. But I think it was particularly strong because it's my my, my home country. Um, I know a lot of people who work in Westminster or near Westminster, so oh. I was very concerned about their safety. Um, thankfully, everyone was fine. Um, and, uh, yeah, I also noticed that tweet about um, Londoners, and I it really struck me because I, I was in London for the 7-7 attack, which is quite a while ago uh -huh. now, and I remember feeling the same... Um, 
emotion observing the same thing that Londoners are incredibly resilient and they just get on with things. Um, I remember the next day, my brother said to me, we have to get onto the tube. It's really important that we go on the tube now because we need to show that we're not going, you know, going to change our lifestyle for, right. for these people. And not only that, I'm going to take you to your first gay bar because the terrorists <laughs> really won't like that. And so I remember, um, yeah, it was quite interesting. And, and I remember speaking to Londoners. They are so... Um, they're really great when they're coming together after an event like this. And I'm always very, very impressed yeah. um, by the spirit of Londoners. Yeah, I, de- I definitely would agree with that. You know, um, there's that meme, the, the keep calm and carry on thing. And mm-hmm. I know it's a little bit overdone now, but I think it is true. I mean, culturally, this is something that we've had for a long time. Obviously, in the 80s, we had like the IRA terrorist attacks. Um, so I think people were sort of used to that threat and then even i read some stories not too long ago about um londoners in the blitz and mm-hmm. how people when the air raid sirens went off would send their children up to the roof to check that there was actually anything coming just because they didn't really want to like so for example there was a mother who had like a sunday roast on and she didn't want to have to leave it wow. so she wanted to make sure it was <laughs> actually, <laughs> she wanted to make sure it was actually a bomb before she bothered leaving her roast because you know and there, so there is this kind of natural spirit <laughs> of defiance and, and just getting yeah. on with things that i think that londoners have which is which is great you know yeah and i think sadly humans Humans can normalize these things if they become too common, like you're talking about the Blitz. I went to school in Pakistan just for a couple of years as a teenager, and I remember being terrified at the announcement of like bomb blasts or whatever. From my school, we heard bomb blasts sometimes and sirens, and I was like shaken up. And, you know, my schoolmates, my classmates were like, oh, whatever, just another day, da 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 da. Like they're so used to it. And then when I went back later as an adult, you know, two of the workplaces that I worked at um, next door, there was bomb blasts. And again, I was really shaken up. But people that that, you know, were used to it did not react like that. Even now, my friends from Pakistan tell me, oh, you should come visit. And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of scared. Like. I don't really know how comfortable I am with, well, what's the worst that can happen? Like, you know, if you have to die, you have to die or you're going to get what? You're going to get a gun put to your head. So whatever, just give them your phone. And they're so used to it. Yeah, I think as terrible as it it is, like there's, you know, been quite a few attacks in Europe over the last, well, at least since 2015, maybe 2014. And I think it is starting to get to the point that we're sort of, we are, I don't want to say used to it, but it used to be if there was some sort of news like that, you would have a really, really visceral emotional reaction. And and, and I still get that to a certain degree, but there's also that kind of like, oh, no, not again kind of thing. Um, And that's a real shame. That is a shame. I agree. I mean, of course, there are attitudes to this kind of thing that are helpful, that unify us, that make us stronger, that, you know, show defiance in the absolute right way. But then there's some attitudes that seek to divide and just like spread hate or score political points in the wake of something like this. I can think of Tommy Robinson, who I've been watching a couple of interviews of since the attack. And, uh, he was right there, I think. He was right there with um, Rebel Media, which is... Well, I, I heard that he ran there. Oh, did um, you? you know, he really wanted... He wasn't there at the time, but he got in a taxi and drove there purposefully to 
to speak. Oh, so really? really un- unhelpfully um, going there. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds possible. Yeah. I, I, I was under the impression that he was there. I saw that video of him kind of, uh, you know, getting angry out just, just by the bridge. Um, yeah. but I, I mean, I assumed he was already there, but it sounds like, yeah. I mean, I might be wrong. I might be wrong, but I, I heard reports about that. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> right. Cause there was, okay. So he, he was like screaming maniacally. He was, he was losing his mind and he, he started in another interview. He's like, you know, Oh, ironically, I happened to be there just warning people about the, uh, threat of Islam. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I, what did he say? Ironically enough, I was there making a video to warn the public about Islam. And it's like, Tommy, that's what you do. Yeah. Like, it's every not much of a coincidence day. when, <laughs> yeah, it's not much of a coincidence when that's basically what you spend your time doing. Right, exactly. Uh, and then yeah. there was some uh, bystander in the rebel rebel media video where he was like, you're very quick to label this a foreign terror attack. And Tommy was like, because my head is not up my ass. Um yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't. It didn't turn out to be a foreign terror attack. It was a British-born convert, right? Yeah, well, what uh, Tommy says in the video, he's like, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but it's something in the vein of like, oh, this has been going on for like 1,400 years, and now you and like the, the the elites want to let more of them in or something. Yeah, it's like, he's like, this, you know. These people are waging a war on us. This has gone on for 1,400 years. This is nothing new. Political leaders want yeah. to invite more. And it's like, exactly, exactly. who are these people? Who 1,400 yeah. years implies, like, you know, Muslims, just, just Muslims in general, right? Yeah, well, there's this, I think there's this thing of um, trying to, especially like the, the right at the moment, trying to make out that, Muslims are like one block, you know? Um, and <laughs> the thing is as well that 12.4%, I looked this up, 12.4% of London's population is Muslim. So it's 40% of all Muslims across the UK live in London. Hmm. So I imagine if there was widespread, you know, sympathy or support from for ISIS, you would see like a lot more going on than just this guy, you know, driving his car across Westminster Bridge, like it, it, there's this desire on the on the right, I think, to try and make out that all all Muslims are basically the same, um, and you see that with the hijabi thing as well, and the you know the, this photograph of this woman that that's been shared around, making out that she's just walking by and not and not paying attention. Right when you if you just zoom into her face, she looks obviously distressed in that photograph. She's got her hand on her face, and you know her mouth is turned downwards. I don't know what else they would want from her. Like they don't know what happened right before this photo or what happened after. And the fact that this poor woman has had to issue a statement uh, explaining herself just because her photo is being misused and presented as something sinister just because she's wearing a hijab and it is so, so sad. What, how do you yeah. feel about that kind of thing, Sarah, as a person who wears hijab? Mm, um, it, the, the, the meme arrived really quickly after the event, um, I think before we knew who it was even, I think. And um, it scared me because... I think in this situation, most people have an instinctive empathy with the victims of an attack, even if you don't like the person. Yeah. Um, generally, if someone has been attacked or been in an accident, you tend to have an instinctive empathy. So what struck me about this um, image um, and the tweet 
and the, the, the responses to it were that the hatred and the underlying belief that all Muslims must be inherently evil in some way is so strong amongst this group of people that it overrides their predisposition to feel empathy or to feel compassion when they see someone in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. and, and that scared me because I thought, you know, that means they're not in the process of dehumanizing Muslims. It's already done. It's already complete for them. If, if they don't feel any emotion whatsoever, or if they will it willfully um, ignore that in order to present um, this image of a, of a hijab, a woman in a hijab. Um, yeah, it, it was it was really disturbing for me um, to see that. Um, and again, when there's a terrorist attack, you don't expect the conversation to turn to hijab. Right. What does you know, that have to do for the with the umpteenth time? Um, and and then the the comments that I had on on Twitter began, and and they were talking about hijab. And I thought, why are you speaking about this in particular when we should be talking about you know the victims, um, perhaps the 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 motivation of the attacker, if it is related to Islamic terrorism, etc. Not what someone is wearing. So um, that shocked me. Did you get any yeah, direct comments, direct uh, like directly at you? I had some. Uh, I had people saying to me, you know, you're a Muslim, so why do these things happen? And obviously, I don't have a satisfactory answer to that. Well, yeah, um, you're not responsible and, for um, every Muslim. Yeah, exactly. And I would have conversations with people and. But at the end of the conversation, a lot of these people would say to me, well, it's all well and good what you're saying. And I agree with a lot of what you say, but I can't trust you because you wear a hijab. Oh, dear. So something in my logic must be impaired, you know, that I, I can't have a proper debate with someone because I wear this hijab. Um, so it, that was very strange. Um the fact that it becomes the you know the the main focus i think we're seeing that though we're seeing this retreat into identity and and seeing people as groups so you know because you wear a hijab you're a muslim so therefore like the muslims in quotes this is what they think they agree with x y and z and they disagree with x y and z and you know we saw donald trump jr share this article um uh, quoting Sadiq Khan saying that basically uh, terrorist attacks are part and parcel of living in a major city and obviously his implication is that he doesn't care and just thinks we should just deal with it and and you know that you know that's just a problem that we have to deal with whereas I think obviously what he was saying is the threat of terrorist attacks in major cities is very common and it's something that he needs to deal with as mayor. But just the fact that people were sharing that, and especially Donald Trump Jr. as well, I mean, it, it was it's an obvious marker that people were starting to think more in terms of if you are a Muslim, then this is who you are and this is what group you are part of. Right. You know? Wasn't even the very next line of that article something that expanded on that perspective like and we can't let them scare us like that Sadiq Khan said something like that following up yes that sentiment. Um, I think he was speaking about the threat of terrorist attacks is something that we have to be prepared for right um, and I think a lot of the comments that I read and that were directed at me um, were saying that he uh, was sort of resigned to it or yes um, yeah. 
that he didn't care that there were terrorist attacks or the threat of terrorist attacks. Whereas I think he was emphasizing the importance of being prepared for them um, and combating them as a society coming together. So in the article was, was actually quite interesting. The original article, I think it was in September, 2016. Um, But obviously sharing it on the day um, out of context, perhaps it became the topic of conversation. Um, and it it overshadowed uh, Sadiq Khan's speech on that day. Yeah. His response was quite interesting because he was interviewed about it and he said, well, look, I don't have time to comment on, on this because I have other things I need to be doing. And, and rightly so. I mean, yeah. he, he shouldn't be responding to the commentary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. At, you know, the highest level. Yeah. Isn't he the guy, though, Donald Trump Jr., that started off that Skittles thing, right? Oh, did he? Oh, yes. Is that was that him? Yeah, I think I remember it might that. have I been. That was awful. Yeah, yeah. He's not a he's not a smart guy. I don't think. <laughs> but um, yeah, Sarah. Back to this uh, kind of commentary on hijab, even just generally outside of specific terror attacks. Uh, you know, you must know that I am a critic of islamic modesty rules and stuff like yes. that right but i at the same time see a lot of people doing it in very distasteful ways which i find very very counterproductive so firstly how do you feel about criticism of hijab generally because i'm a critic of the um, hijab yes yes um a lot of it is fair okay to be honest i mean i wear hijab i enjoy wearing hijab but I recognize that it can be problematic. And the fact that I wear it, especially as a convert, can be problematic in the sense that by wearing it, am I encouraging the idea that the only way to be a Muslim woman is to wear a hijab? Mm. And I recognize that. Um, I also think as a white person, as a British woman, am I just dressing up? Am I appropriating this symbol (laughs) that, you know, what am I doing wearing it? And so... Sometimes I, I look in the mirror and I have this these questions. In the end, I always continue wearing it because I enjoy wearing it, and I I, I feel that it benefits me far more um, than than the disadvantages. How but does it benefit I'm you? Aware, if I can ask, I yeah, sure, of course. Um, I feel very confident when I'm wearing it. I feel very. Um, I I do like, and I know that this will get criticism, but I, I do like being visibly Muslim in a non-Muslim country, in Italy in particular. And I know that that can be problematic because that then suggests that women who don't wear, Muslim women who don't wear hijab um, are not necessarily recognized as Muslim. So I know that that can be a problem. But um, I also know that in Italy, uh, when I'm walking in the street, I no longer get people saying ciao, ciao bella to me. Oh, really? Which I used, I used to get harassed a lot. And it's not like I'm a, a, a model or a, an incredibly glamorous woman or anything <laughs> like that. Just You could be walking around in a tracksuit and Italian men will just come on to you and invite you to dinner. And I quite enjoy not having that. I know that if I were in a Muslim-majority country, the harassment would be there, whether I wear hijab or not. Right, um, I think and the harassment I, would be yeah. way worse. And, you know, sometimes I do get Muslim men in Italy saying the whole like mashallah like oh dear. hello and that's really creepy yeah. but it doesn't happen very often so um and also i have really interesting conversations with people because it's so obvious that i'm 
um, Muslim because people um, associate hijab with Islam that I have very interesting conversations with, for example, my students who like to ask me questions about um, Islam. And when there's a terrorist attack or something like this, they they like to ask my opinion. Mm. Um, and I try to be as honest as I can and not trying to present this amazing rose-tinted view of Islam, like everything's great, all Muslims mm-hmm. are amazing and we all do amazing things. Um, I try to be as, as honest as I can. And I tend to find that um, atheist students that I have appreciate um, being able to speak to me about it because they're not able to have those discussions with, for example, fellow Catholics mm. or or they don't know any other Muslims who they, who they can speak to about it. So, um, yeah, various, various reasons. Right. I think that could um, be helpful if you have a lot of questions and you know a hijabi mm. that's open to answering mm. them. I think that really helps uh, kind of erase some of the differences and fears that people mm. might feel. I just going to say, I thought it was really interesting what you said about really enjoying being visibly Muslim, because I think that is something we're seeing at the moment. What was that um, symbol, you know, that was used in the Women's March the with the woman in the American flag hijab? Mm-hmm. Um, and that became like, uh, yes. yeah, that became a big sort of symbol of, of defiance. And, and I'm kind of caught in between two points of view on it, because I understand that that symbolism and that defiance, and I can see how people would want to be more visibly Muslim in the face of discrimination, you know, mm-hmm. from, from Donald Trump and stuff like that. So I understand that, but then I also worry about the sort of glorification of the, mm-hmm. the modesty yes. thing. So it's kind of, I, I don't, I haven't quite worked out where I've settled on that question yet, but I just thought it was really interesting that you said that. And I think, I, do, I think I do understand where you're coming from, definitely. I don't know where I stand on this issue either, to be honest. Um, (laughs) When it comes to flags on hijabs, I find it a bit icky, really. Um, Because I think hijab is already being politicized by Muslims themselves, um, by people who aren't Muslim. And then on top of that, you add a flag um, or in in the UK, a poppy. Mm. um, And it's it becomes, you have multiple narratives going on at the same time and arguments and they all converge on Muslim women's bodies. Um, And it really, so I just don't know what to, what to make of it. So I, I wouldn't wear um, a British flag on my hijab because I I don't see the point. uh, Would you wear it on your like jacket? I might wear a t-shirt. Okay. Yeah, I think I have one actually, and I wouldn't have a problem doing that. But just combining it with the hijab, I, I, I don't know. Mm. I don't know what I'm achieving really by doing that. Am I, you know, trying to prove that I'm? Um, well, British? I think I think you know, it's, it can odd. be useful to express that you can have these multiple identities simultaneously, mm. which many bigots mm-hmm. on either side think you can't have. Like you know. Yes. Uh, a lot of Muslim bigots will be like, well, no, you have to pledge allegiance to Islam and Islam only, and you're a Muslim first and everything else comes after. And, you know, nationalist bigots are like, well, no, you have to be British or you have to be American and American only. I had a guy tell me that the other day on Twitter that people like me should never be allowed to work for the government because I reap the benefits of countries like Canada. Meanwhile, I still call myself a Pakistani Canadian. Um, So people who have such strong ties to Pakistan are not trustworthy. 
yeah which we are seeing this just you know like i said this increasing prevalence of identity whether it's religious or national or and i, I do wonder why that is i think maybe it's something to do with insecurity i think people are feeling insecure in themselves because of all the people are trying to find causes for things so it's either you know alt-right nationalism or it's like uh, islamism and stuff like that there's all, all of these things seem to be on the rise i think it's because we are melding together as a you know as a world that grows smaller and smaller each day by the internet we're so connected with each other in different parts of the globe that our differences in our identities are fading and i think that threatens the most extreme versions of us in each culture and they yeah, try to yeah. cling to that uh more and more loudly. Well, it's reactionary, isn't it? I think um, I think it was Tom Holland, uh, the historian on Twitter, mm-hmm. said that um, Sadiq Khan basically represents everything that ISIS is most terrified of and, and most hates. He's like a liberal Muslim who is, you know, important in the government in the mm-hmm. UK. He's everything that they don't want to exist. And I think that's true. I yeah. think that, that, that the people, that we are, it is, you're right. It is, it's that this, this rise of this nationalism and this, uh, you know, fervent, uh, religious identity, I think, is reactionary against the fact that we are we are melding together, and, and and we are these borders are breaking down, and like culturally, religiously, all of these things, we're becoming more of like a, a single group that can all get along together. And you know, people who take re- refuge in their identity quite strongly don't like it; they yeah. feel like it's eroding it. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, um, so back just back to the hijab thing for a second, um, Sarah. Do you kind of wear it for more identity reasons or for modesty reasons? A bit of both, I suppose. Okay. Um, the problem with wearing it for modesty reasons is you're then suggesting that people who aren't wearing it are immodest. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, which is a problem because I cover up. I wear relatively loose fitting clothes apart from leggings um and i wear hijab so it's partly identity i it's partly um when i converted um i started wearing hijab as a sort of experiment if you will to see what if i liked it and it was part of the process of of converting for me in a way this idea of hijab physically and spiritually Mm. um so the two became combined. Now, if I had converted and I hadn't started wearing hijab at a similar time, maybe I would think differently. Mm-hmm. Maybe I wouldn't find it so comforting wearing a hijab. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's possible. It's possible. But you don't, um, do you like feel that it's right for women to hide their hair? Otherwise men will be provoked into lusting no, after I them? Think, I think it's right for me. I think I enjoy wearing it and I, I like wearing it. Um, I don't think it's right for necessarily other people. And I would certainly never tell people that they had to. I mean, my family are mostly Christian or atheist. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I'm out shopping with my mum and she's buying clothes, I'm never saying, oh, mother, please cover your legs, cover your arms. Um, Because she feels confident when she's wearing whatever clothes she's um, wearing. And I would never want to to stop someone else from wearing what they want. So I, I don't view it in that way but I can you know I understand how people could um speak to me and say well that's Sarah she's just all over the place she doesn't really make any any sense I accept that because I know that my views can be contradictory and they're all 
things that I'm working out in my own. Well, that's great. Uh, I think my own head. That's so helpful to 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 say honestly because there will be so many people that are trying to be liberal and trying to be religious at the same time. And they are very, very contradictory, but they won't acknowledge that. And then that makes people really upset at them for being dishonest. Um, but I think if you just acknowledge it up front and say, I'm just trying to work this stuff out in my head right now, I think that's a great way to tackle it. Like it's fair. It's fair that you're, you're figuring it out. I don't necessarily agree with you, but yeah. I absolutely support your right Uh, to wear one and I get really mad at people who take this idea of criticizing hijab intellectually and turn it into demonizing hijabis as people it's such a kind of fine line you have to walk right it's it's becoming increasingly harder and harder. I'll see my critiques, uh, you know, being retweeted by people with Trump in their profile picture. And I'm like, no, no. So I don't, you know, it's very hard. Um, I think that you have to have your standard of being honest and being open and recognize that some people are going to use your words in a negative way uh-huh. but I think it's better that you're open and honest about your criticism etc um, and even if it is used in a negative way um, I think people appreciate that honesty that mm-hmm. honest critique um, because Often you, I've noticed in your tweets that you'll say something and maybe someone underneath will then say something, take it further and make it generalized or, or make it bigoted. And you'll step in and say, whoa, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. You have to have balance. So, um, and I appreciate that as well, because obviously I don't always agree with the things that you say, mm-hmm. but I appreciate the fact that you try to have this balance and mm-hmm. you're coming at it from a different angle and you have experience that I don't have and mm-hmm. that informs um, my opinions, mm-hmm. I often see things that you write and it may either changes my opinion or it gives me some kind of counter argument cool. to something that maybe I hadn't questioned before. Yeah, I think in that sense, it's always good to see views that you don't agree with because they can make you rethink your own or they can strengthen mm-hmm. your own because mm-hmm. you try to justify what the other person is saying in your head and you work out a more fine-tuned argument to rebut that. But I do, at the same time, I do think it's nor- it's it's important to try and normalize hijabis as people in our society. Meanwhile, I want to remain critical of hijab as a concept or any modesty concept, really. If, if purity balls in Texas were, you know, being promoted as the new feminism, I'd be completely annoyed and angry about that and criticizing that too or if Amish clothing was being promoted as uh, the new feminist symbol of defiance or empowerment then I'd be against that too but just it, it just so happens that it's hijab these days is all the rage for and I understand also the reasons for using it as a symbol of defiance it is definitely becoming a symbol of defiance the more the right pushes against hijabis or, or more like hate crimes that happen against hijabis but it's not a symbol of empowerment or feminism. I can't square that. Um, actually, I've been contacted 
um, several times over the last uh, year or so. And in fact, this this week after the the attack on Wednesday on London in London, I was contacted by someone who who wanted to know my opinion. Um, she felt very strongly that she wanted to wear hijab as a um, as an act of defiance. She's um, Muslim. She doesn't wear hijab. Um, and I've also been contacted by women who are not Muslim who want to wear hijab um, as a oh sort dear. of protest. And um, my answer to them always is, well, what do you think this will achieve? And um, I, often um, it might make them feel better. And I do appreciate the them wanting to show solidarity. Mm-hmm. But then I also say, well, you know, this might actually cause more problems than it and it helps yeah in a way yeah so um I think and then often they go away and they're a bit disappointed because I wasn't so enthusiastic <laughs> about encouraging <laughs> them to wear it um but uh, yeah and I uh, several years ago I would have been pro this I'm sure I'm sure I would have been supporting people wearing hijab as sort of a um to show people yeah okay you can wear hijab and you have the freedom to wear hijab etc nowadays I, I don't have that opinion it's interesting how our opinions evolve over time but someone whose opinions have not evolved over time or maybe have uh, devolved uh is tommy robinson i hate to keep going back to him but um <laughs> You know, it's so true that Britain does have an extremism problem. And I think that he does a great disservice and people like him when they take it so far into generalizing Muslims and saying bigoted things that they make it harder to address real issues. So he was on another interview after this attack saying, we're very fortunate in the UK, we don't have a far right, really. We just have normal people like me. <laughs> yeah. Talkie. I guess you can't you can't see the far right if you are the far right, I guess. No. Right, right, right. The rebel media guy and Tommy, like, screaming at uh, liberals or whatever, saying the blood is on your hands and, uh, you know, this is a foreign attack. You import a culture. You're going to get a terrorist culture. Things like that. It's... It was all bullshit because the guy ended up being someone who was born in Britain and radicalized in Britain. Now, the thing is, you have to acknowledge that this is a local problem as well, right? If you want to address it, things like people being radicalized in prisons and stuff is so complex and so complicated seeming. How do you even begin to tackle that? I don't know. Yeah, it's a a difficult problem. Um, I mean, with this guy... Khalid Massoud. So far, they've said that they, you know, they can't, they don't actually know what his motive was. I mean, it certainly looks like the MO of ISIS, doesn't it? Using a car to mow down pedestrians. They they also kind of claimed it, didn't it? That they inspired him? Yeah, they did, but I imagine they would regardless. But I, I think more likely than not, I'm sure it was ISIS related. I think he probably was more self radicalized. I don't think there's really yeah. any evidence. Yeah. But um, I know there was something to do with him checking his WhatsApp shortly before. So now the Home Secretary Amber Rudd is talking about, you know, people shouldn't be allowed to have encrypted WhatsApp messages because we need it to be able to protect the people, which is slightly concerning. Um, but yeah, but Tommy said a few things in that interview so so there was the interview where he was kind of yelling and screaming outside Westminster Bridge and then there was another interview he did shortly after that on the same subject uh, I'm not sure if you guys have seen yeah, this I, I one. saw that one okay right but he says like yeah he, he's talking about you know 
66% of British Muslims said they wouldn't report someone to the police for being involved in terrorism or, you know, people, British Muslims who've gone to Syria have come back into the country without being arrested and all of these sorts of things. Yeah, and the thing that Tommy specializes in is making it seem reasonable, mixing like just the right amount of fact with a whole bunch of bullshit so that you kind of buy into what he's saying. Well, I I was watching the interview and kind of like for the first maybe, I mean, maybe not quite 10 minutes, but for a fair bit of it, I was kind of like, okay, you know, he hasn't said anything too crazy yet. I'm kind of, (laughs) I'm, I'm on board with vaguely what he's saying. It sounds, you know, maybe slightly more angry than I would prefer. But then he goes and says something like i think he, he he's talking and then he says um oh, and, and you know the refugee crisis and he's like well they call it the refugee crisis but it's actually an islamic invasion <laughs> and it's just like okay well, okay you lost me like <laughs> every single refugee is part of an invading army is that what you're saying tommy and i think he i don't i, I mean i don't know if he believes that maybe he does uh, and he says something like that, you know, hundreds of thousands of Muslims raping their way across Europe yeah. or something. It's <laughs> like, oh, Jesus. Come on. Like, I mean, yeah, he, do- he does. He-, he-, he has this insidious mix of sounding reasonable and saying things that aren't too far off the mark. You know, he likes to quote the Quran and he says how he's read a lot about Islam. Right, and he knows the Quran. Like, he can quote some things pretty accurately. But, you know, all these Abrahamic scriptures especially have such vile, violent, misogynistic things in them. You don't hold Christians by that standard. Like, I mean, doesn't the Bible say to kill your kids if they take you away from God or something? Yeah, there's 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 quite a lot. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of bad stuff in the Bible too, for sure. I think um, when it comes to Islam, there are there are verses in the Quran that you know, can seemingly look like they're promoting attacking disbelievers and stuff. You know, there's a famous they, verse. They don't they just get. look like it. They, they, well, they are. They yeah. Are. Yeah, for sure. But, but I mean, the, the thing that a lot of moderate Muslims would say is that was revealed during a time where Muslims were being oppressed and it's talking about a specific set of disbelievers that the Muslims were allowed to attack. And, and I think the problem is that the modern sort of the you know okay so isis this is something that i think people don't realize but isis is 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 the fringe of the fringe of the fringe mm. right so salafis like they were too are, extreme for al-qaeda i remember yeah yeah absolutely well <laughs> you, you, you have you have salafism right salafism is kind of the regressive hardcore form of Islam, and then the fringe of that is kind of the jihadist version, so Salafi jihadists, who Mm -hmm. are like Al-Qaeda, and then, yeah, you have ISIS, who Al-Qaeda considers too extreme, so, Mm -hmm. like, when people are making out that, like, this is the mainstream Muslim position, they're, like, three levels of fringe down, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that is something that a lot of people don't realize. Well, also, like, most modern-day, especially Western Muslims, they cherry-pick, like, any other... Theist trying to exist in the 21st century. Muslims don't have this, you know, miraculous Quran chip implanted in their brains where they're going to automatically follow every single verse that is like, I tell you, my distant family and my cousin and nobody even knows what the bloody scripture says. Like every time I quote something at them when I'm annoyed, uh, because they're being <laughs> apologists, they're like, whoa, 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 it doesn't really say that. And I'm like, God, like nobody knows the damn thing they're defending. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Well, the dangerous people are the ones who use 
these holy books as a, a literal instruction manual. So right. they read something, you know, a verse that was revealed during a time where Muslims were at war, and they say, well, it says strike the necks of the disbelievers, so I'm going to go out right now and find someone who doesn't believe, and I'm going to hit them with a machete or whatever. Right. It's like, okay, well, you know, calm down. I don't I don't think that's how most Muslims look at their holy book, just like most Christians don't. I mean, like you said, there's verses in the Bible that say if your brother or your mother try to lead you away from God, then you should put them to death immediately on the spot. And I don't think many people do that because I think you would hear about it. Right. The thing is that people are going to get really upset because they're going to be like, oh, well, you know, it's a false equivalence and Islam is so much worse than Christianity and nobody acts on this stuff in Christianity anymore. While people in Islam act on this stuff all the time. And it's true. It's true. I'm not equating them. Christianity is a lot older. It's had time to soften more time than Islam. And um, I think what we're seeing now is Islam and it's like, uh, kind of last throes of clinging on to this ancient form of it, and as it adjusts to modernity, it will become more more watered down, more personalized. Um, yeah. So you got to give Muslims that same chance. Many of them cherry pick just the same way, and and of course that's not. I don't consider it to be intellectually honest or you know completely consistent but i mean i can't say that i consider religion to be really consistent so i'm sorry sarah (laughs) no i there's so many things i could say um about this because i think because i I used to be christian so um were you a religious christian yes my parents are ministers oh okay okay um well on my mum's um line they're all ministers so um i and i thought at one point that i might even become um a minister myself so um i have a lot of experience when it comes to cherry picking because i was so used to it as a christian and didn't didn't question it but the thing about christianity is they have a really handy get out clause when there's something bad in the old testament Mm -hmm. uh, where you know god says kill these people they can just say yeah but then jesus came and then he said don't do that so it's fine. But he also said he also said abide by all the stuff yeah. in the not, Old Testament. Not, was it not one jot or tittle of my word will right. pass away? Exactly. Until something, something. See, this is my my Christian expertise coming out. Yeah. I haven't even I read mean. the Bible. So. <laughs> <laughs> I read the Quran. I haven't read the Bible. Yeah, and I think you're you're right as well. I can't remember who said it, but um, one of you said that um, a lot of Christians haven't read all of the um, things in the Bible because when we have Bible readings in church, um, you know, the minister chooses which ones we read and a lot of people don't read them. They certainly don't read the law books, Mm -hmm. which say, you know, if you combine two threads together, Mm -hmm. you should be killed, for example. (laughs) Um, And I think um, with the Quran, I think the difficulty is that I think there are more Muslims who take it literally Absolutely, that's the problem. Um, and the and for me, the, the the thing that I find um, strange is that people say to me, "Well, you're not really Muslim because, firstly, you're nice, <laughs> and secondly, they say, well, you're not really Muslim because you're not following all of the Quran." Yeah, 
And I say, well, if you try to follow all of the Quran 100%, you can't because you can't both kill someone and be compassionate at right. the same time. It's contradictory you know, to are, itself, are, so you can't. Yeah, exactly. And I think I don't think there are religious texts that aren't contradictory. Um, and so you have to read it and you have to apply your own sense of right and wrong. Whether you believe that comes from God is another question or whether you think that's your innate humanity coming through that's another matter entirely uh, and you have to apply common sense to it and you have to think who um you know is this literally the word of god or is this a person who who wrote it down because they were inspired by god mm-hmm. um, you you can be a literalist as well and not you know that there are ways to be literalists that aren't quite as bad as isis so for example you could believe that you know the Quran was revealed literally to Muhammad and it literally meant what it did at the time in the context that he was reading it, but it isn't an instruction manual for 2017 mm-hmm. for a Muslim living in modern London to, to read it and say, I'll go out and do that. It, it, you know, you can say, this is the book that God revealed to the Muslims in the 7th century. That, that That's a possible literalist yeah. you could be without being, you know... Uh, Well, if you're looking for loopholes out, you'll find loopholes out of being violent and all of that. But if you're looking for, you know, raw material to justify your violence, to justify your Mm -hmm. hatred, you will find that too. And that's the problem. The problem is that we have too many, like, way worse than Westboro Baptist Church Muslims. Um, And that doesn't... Yeah, I I would agree with that. Oh, Although yeah. I would I would say that I don't think it's quite as simple as they, you know, have violent tendencies or they want to be violent and they look to the Quran and they find some stuff and they're like, hey, I want to be violent. Um, I think. No, that- I don't think it's as conscious a decision as that. There's just people that go down that route and their belief seems to confirm <clears throat> everything that they are. You yeah, know, you feeling can, you can be attracted to more towards a more uh, you know radical version, and young people generally are. That's why most jihadists. I mean, this this guy was an outlier in the fact that he was fifty two and he was quite a lot older than the most jihadists are. And the reason is because young people are attracted to radical ideologies. I think it was Scott Atran said something like, uh, you know, when he was talking to someone who was trying to come up with a program to lead people away from radical Islam, and they were talking about, oh, well, we just have to push moderate islam and he was like when do you when have you ever heard of someone young giving up something radical in favor of something moderate right it right it just doesn't come I, across as interesting or yeah, seductive yeah, young people are natural radicals i mean you see that in universities at the yeah. moment with the uh, you know the social justice thing and even the pushback to that the alt-right is, is led by young people right really, i mean really, i was pretty radical in my own way in university like i dressed like you know with dog collars and was nothing yeah, like yeah. jihadism but <laughs> you <laughs> know quite, no. i was coming one, from saudi it, exactly like coming from the land of burqas and finally getting to dress how you want you kind of just go nuts a little bit right you want to get tattoos you want to get piercings that was my being radical and a lot of people did find it disturbing in my family um well, I, I do think though that you know jihadists 
aren't purely motivated by their own sort of selfish uh, desire to, to cause violence. I think they do come to really believe in something like jihad. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. They do come to believe in the righteousness of using terrorism against the West. And, 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 and it does, it's this kind of loop of, um, you know, believing these things and then that feeding into your sort of personal, like, you know, self-righteous anger and then that feeding back into reading the text in that way. And, mm-hmm. and you just get worse and worse and you go down this rabbit hole and so i think it's, it's really complicated it's, it's way more complicated than most people want to give it credit for right most people want to either deny <laughs> it has anything to do with ideology or they yes. want to say that muslims are innately ideological robots that don't stray at all or cherry pick at all so it's either everything to do with islam or nothing to do with islam and really, yeah. it's not either of those simple answers. It's, um, yeah, absolutely. I think ideology is a huge factor in denying that. It's completely unhelpful. And Islam is not a monolith, so people don't need to feel defensive. Like, I, I understand the desire to, to say, no, 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 this has nothing to do with me. I'm Muslim, and uh, this is not representative of my Islam, but you can't deny that that is also a form of Islam any more that, than they can deny that your moderate form of Islam is a form of Islam. You know what I mean? Well, That's why I hate these not real Muslim, not real Islam kind of yeah, excuses yeah. because you don't get to decide what Islam is. You know, how someone else practices it, it is Islam to them. Well, there was one of the, yeah. that's one of the worst reactions, I think, to, to this was is to just shut down and say terrorism has nothing to do with Islam. Uh, they aren't true Muslims. I mean, John, I think it was John Kerry said he, he called ISIS apostates or something, which mm. was just like, oh, God, why would you Ooh, use that term? The worst, like, yeah. Know, why are you demonizing terrible. fucking apostates, first and, of and, all? And the, and the problem is that there are going to be people who don't understand this stuff much. They don't really know what's going on. And then they hear the left saying, you know, this is nothing to do with Islam. Um, this is, you know, just just terrorism has no religion and blah, blah, blah. And then they hear ter- Tommy Robinson saying, well, you know, this attacker, before he went, he said this part from the Quran and mm-hmm. he shouted Allah Akbar and blah. And they go, oh, maybe this Tommy Robinson guy, yeah. you know, he makes on to something. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where you have that worry. That's the reason. And I understand what people are trying to do when they say it's nothing to do with Islam. What they're saying is it's, this is not the Islam that I know. This is not right, what... Right, but they're not helping at all. Have. No, well, well, if they're, they're throwing fuel on on the the right wing because because you know Sam Harris has the quote from a long time ago which he got a lot of stick for, which was if we can't speak sensibly about the problem of problems of Islam, I think he would say Islamism now, then the right wing is going to be the only people that do, and I think we've that was quite prescient. We've come to see that happen. Yeah, you know, uh, I still think there's time for the left to start speaking and addressing this in a liberal manner and not to give people a chance to do it in a bigoted manner. That's what I try to do with my show. Yeah, there are ways to do it as well. You know, I said earlier that that ISIS are fringe and they're the the fringe of the fringe of the fringe, fringe squared. You know, there are ways to like (laughs) talk about how unrepresentative of normal Muslims they are without pretending that it's nothing to do with Islam. Right. It's not not even difficult. (laughs) You actually sent me a clip from this old BBC dude who just put it so beautifully. He gave me chills, sort of. Uh, I think you retweeted it too, Sarah. It was like, I don't know what his name is. I want to say. Neil, <laughs> but I could just yeah. be guessing. 
I think that uh, might be a second name, but I'm not actually sure. I'm, Andrew Neil. Andrew Neil. I should okay. probably know that being British. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of fire for that. Shame on you guys. But yeah, he he did it. He did it really well. Like he kind of you know said fuck you to the Islamists without kind of yeah. uh, mincing the words that it was Islamism and the radical religious yeah. attacks or whatever. But then he kind of took. Muslims in, he took people of every faith, every color, and said, we are all part of the solution. We can do this together. And yeah. you don't scare us. So he that's said some what great it, phrases in there, like um, he said Jihadi Johnny, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. And uh, he called him a Poundland terrorist as well, which I thought was, <laughs> was great. Poundland is kind of like your dollar store, right? I'm yes, guessing. exactly. That's exactly, exactly what it is, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty funny. So, so yeah, I think that's what we, we have to come together as humanity not muslims versus non-muslims it's everybody against terrorists and the more that muslims get defensive about it they do not get grouped in with the people who are opposing terrorism because they get they get so defensive they don't want to admit that it has anything to do with ideology they you know instead they try to say things like islam is you know the religion of peace and it's never called for people hurting anyone and what do you think of that sarah we've we've come to the point where there's sort of um a cycle of reactions and the first reaction is defense just immediate defense saying it's nothing to do with islam at all mm-hmm. um or they're not real muslims and that makes me very uncomfortable because i don't want to be in the same group as a terrorist yeah no way however you know, if we, if other Muslims can say, well, they're not real Muslims, then what's stopping other Muslims from saying, well, Sarah, you're, you know, pro-LGBT, you're liberal, you want secularism, etc. You're not a real Muslim. Right. Um, or, or, you know, saying that other sects within Islam are not real exactly. Muslims, or that they're apostates, and that somehow leaving the religion is a bad thing. Like, you leave the religion and therefore you must have a, an agenda, a, a vendetta against that religion. Yeah. Uh, and again, because I left a religion, um, I would be a hypocrite if I if I said, oh, well, you can leave Christianity because I did, but you can't leave Islam because... Right, right. I see that I have to be... I have to be consistent. Your pinned tweet is in support of ex-Muslims. And I think that as a, you know, as a visibly religious Muslim, that's a really beautiful thing. I I wish that more religious Muslims would show that kind of support to ex-Muslims. Then there wouldn't be this kind of constant tension between us. Right now, it seems like... Yeah, everyone would relax. Right, right. If if Muslims can come out in support of apostates, just you know, in masses, that would be so mm. wonderful. But it just yeah. doesn't happen. <laughs> I think, no, I, you know, no. I, I, you can, you can, you can understand that that people are afraid. I think that, that it, it, both of the reactions are a result of fear. They're a result of lack of control. I think people are scared of jihadism, and then ordinary Muslims are scared of being branded as part of jihadism. Yeah. You, 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 we're now in a situation where you can be walking around like any city in Europe and you can suddenly find yourself like being shot at by terrorists yeah. or run over by some nutcase. And, you know, aside too, I mean, they're, they're, the hate crimes are on the rise and that's terrifying for both both sides that you don't you're, you're scared 
of being attacked by jihadists and then ordinary Muslims are scared of being attacked by the far right. And it's just kind of this cycle of like reflexive defense and clinging tighter to your existing group and your identity, protecting the status quo. And uh, and again, looking around for like easy answers because it feels like you can do something, you know, the, the, the more afraid people are and the longer the problem goes on, people just start looking to the, the more radical answers. Like on the right, you see like ban Muslim immigrants, deport all the Muslims, mm. form an ethno state and deport all non-whites and all of these sort of things. And, yeah. and one of the problems as well is that the left wing has trouble with this because it's a problem that doesn't really have an easy solution or, or really any solution. Like, how do we stop someone from just getting in their car and running down a bunch of people in the street? Like, how do you how do you predict that? How do you stop yeah? How do coffee? you predict that? So I think, you know, people start to get sick of hearing we have to be strong and resilient. We can't let them divide us as much as that is a great, great spirit. People want action and they want something to be done. And then they turn to someone like Donald Trump, who says, oh, I've got the solution. When but do you think Donald Trump's solutions don't work, right? You oh, can't no, just. Yeah. Not. Like if you keep but, out but, Muslims, uh, the new ones coming in or traveling, how is that going to help anything? There's already yeah. a lot of Muslims here. There's all, well, uh, always. Exactly. And there's always a possibility of someone converting like Sarah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But yeah, I mean, this is the thing, right? Even the most radical solution that these crazy like Richard Spencer types come up with, which is forming like a white ethno state, right? How do you unentangle the races from one another when we've already had kids (laughs) with one another? How do you, what do you do? And also, you know, there are 3.3 million Muslims in America, right? And 30% of them are white. So even if you deported all the non-whites, you'd still have a million (laughs) Muslims. And then, so what, do they want it to be ethnically homogenous and then also culturally and religiously? So like, what? then you're basically just like North Korea. Am I right in thinking as well that the majority of Muslims in America are African-American as well? I'm, I'm... I'm, uh, I think I'm, not a sure. I'm not sure. And I think they've yeah. been there for a long, long time. And, yeah. you know, it's really a society that has um, integrated for many, many generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, America um, has great integration. They don't have nearly yeah. as much of an extremism problem as we do in, like, the UK or in, in France or in some parts of Europe. They, they seem to have really nailed it. I mean, you get some real outliers like, you know, the San Bernardino attacks mm-hmm. or the Orlando shooter, but they are kind of... Like they're rare. We don't. There's not much of a an extremism problem in the U.S. from from what I've seen, anyway. Yeah, in, in North America generally, I don't think we have those like uh, Islamic ghettos. Kind of American Muslims tend to feel more part of the general fabric of society than I think. From what I see, extreme British Muslims, you guys have more like. Uh, you know, British Islam is something that is such a mystery to me. And I hate to generalize like British Islam. I'm sure there's a variety of types of British Muslim as well. But the kinds of extreme Islam I've seen coming from Britain, I haven't yet actually even uh, seen in Saudi Arabia with my own eyes. Because I felt like in Saudi People did not have this insecurity of wanting to cling to their Muslim identity. So everyone was really lax about it. There was no desperation to to prove anything or show how Muslim you are back when I was there. Um, And when we had family friends visit from the UK, you know, they were like aliens because they would be really extreme and 
us like kids that grew up in Saudi found it very, very strange. Like, oh, we had heard Britain was like a pretty liberal, um, <laughs> you know, place. So well, what is up with these, these Muslim visitors that we're getting? We got uh, some family friends visiting us and there was a girl who refused to like even touch women. Like, you know, if, if someone wanted to give her a hug, she was like, no, you know, what? She was she was female and she didn't want to touch other women. Yeah, is that even is that even a thing? No, it's Islam? not. It's not. Said, no, <laughs> no, I've never no. heard of that. But she has That's gone bizarre. one step ahead. Really bizarre. So yeah, I've known plenty of people, uh, Muslims in in the UK, who like um, we had a guy come in for an interview at one of my first jobs. Who uh, the interviewer was female. He didn't want to shake her hand and stuff. And I mean, he was like perfectly normal, nice guy. Other than that, it was just obviously there was that conservative sort of yeah. strain. And I lived in in High Wycombe for a while, which has got quite a large sort of Muslim population, quite conservative as well. So you see like a lot of burkas and. Uh, and that sort of thing, but I mean, it was. It, you in, see, in like the full point. face veil burkas. Oh yeah, yeah, like everything, like full body. Everything. Oh dear, yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't um, see too many of those uh, in Toronto, but what's really interesting is that you said um, British Islam is a complete mystery to you um, and in all honesty it is to me as well in many ways <laughs> because I haven't been a Muslim in the UK. Ah, yeah. I'm in Italy. Yeah. I'm completely isolated from it. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a woman in a niqab or a burqa in Italy. I don't mm. think. I mean, they, they must exist, but um, I don't think I've ever seen um, someone wearing one. And so when I go back to the UK, I don't really have any experience of, of British Islam. I've never been to a British mosque. Mm. Oh. Um, so in many ways, you actually probably have um, more experience than I do <laughs> in many ways because you've you know, you live with British Muslims and I don't. I wonder uh, if, um, like, because I know a lot of the British Muslim immigrant population comes from Pakistan. And I know that in Pakistan, there's quite like a lot of extremism or is a growing extremism. It's growing, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, wonder, mean, I wonder if that's kind of important or I don't, I'm not sure. Um, it's also, they, they've become more religious than their parents' generation, right? I'm pretty yeah. sure I've read stats on that, which is very strange. Also, I think the kinds of populations that immigrated to North America and to Britain were very different. I think the levels of yeah, education I, I so. and income and all of that made a big difference. I think in, in England, there was a concentration from specific regions of Pakistan. And I think yeah, in yeah, North right. America, they're more diverse. Maybe, well, but it doesn't really surprise me um, because as someone who's, you know, I've when I first came to Italy, I remember that I became a lot more stereotypically British because I was holding on to that yeah, yeah, yeah. aspect of me. Um, and also I was hanging on to religion as well. Um, I'd, only, I'd recently converted and I was very zealous because I'd sort of just converted and mm. you have that enthusiasm. And then it kind of dies down. And I feel like maybe with the next generation and several generations, they'll just calm down. But what made um, them go reverse of their parents, I wonder, right? Mm. There's also a large yeah, uh, far-right presence, whatever Tommy Robinson of the EDL says or not. Um, you guys have a much stronger far-right, that I think, than, than we do in North America, in Europe. And I think that kind of clash causes more reactionary... Well, our far right in the UK is is not too bad. I mean, Tommy Robinson is basically one of the only like real bad people. And then you've got like Katie Hopkins, but most of them are kind of like like 
figures rather than politicians. You know, we have Nigel Farage, who's like a you know, no one here takes him that seriously. I know he's but had he like quite a big pretty effect. important. Like I just read in a Nick Cohen article today, like you know, he's talking about how he's connected to Donald Trump and yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's not like he's a nobody. He he still has yeah, influence. He's, he's, it's yeah, hard he's, to judge, really, because on the one hand, I tend to think, oh, who is this guy? You know, he doesn't have any influence. He he still hasn't been elected as an MP after I don't know how many decades. And then on the other hand. He does have influence and he, yeah. he is yeah. part of the um, conversation about the far right and about immigration, etc. Um, and Brexit even. Um, so it's hard to know, you know, is he important or is yeah. he, do, you know, is he a nobody? It's really difficult to um, to tell because many people, as you say, don't take him seriously. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great um, uh, difference just to just to run back quickly to the integration thing with, with North America. There's a great illustration uh, and, and maybe don't quote me 100 percent on this, but I'm pretty sure it's right that in the U.S., Muslims have a higher support for gay marriage than Christians or evangelical Christians. And in the UK, tolerance for homosexuality among British Muslims is something like near to zero percent. Mm. So, so I mean, yeah, I've, I've seen so, something similar. Yeah. So mm. there's quite a wide gulf there in, in attitudes. I think that's kind of a good uh, measuring stick. So how so, do uh, we tackle that? Like, how do people in general start to tackle this radicalization or extremism problem that are starting that is starting to emerge even now in Canada it's starting to be more visible as pe- people you know fight against things like my children's book in, in schools or you know they want to have more faith schools or I think the San Ber- Bernardino woman was uh, radicalized at a place called Al Huda I think which started by a Pakistani immigrant to Canada I think then that and that's like a crazy culty culty place like it's horrendous I've known people that have been lost to that cult right and they've become totally fucked up trying to preach to their parents and getting really like sort of obsessive to a point where it affects their parenting skills and they lose friendships and they can't even think of time outside of Religion, like so, you say, okay, you've invited us for dinner. What time would you like us to come over? Oh, after Isha prayers. And it's like, well, when the fuck is that? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. So it's it's very strange when people become so immersed in in a cult. Like, you know, many Christian cults exist, but I don't think Islamic cults have been as uh, explored. And I think Al Huda is very normalized. It's a question that I'm also ask i don't know like I, I think we we need to have this discussion honestly about islamic extremism in britain and across europe and how it's being tackled and what ordinary people can do including muslims obviously and right. how we can help integration and weed out extremism but i mean we have to make sure we don't make ordinary muslims feel like they're you know being blocked in with extremism and and just you know feel like they're all being tarred with the same brush but i I don't know the answer i'm I'm not sure how to how to even begin to tackle the problem yeah i mean it's so complicated and it's so delicate a balance to acknowledge that it it can be rooted in religion and to also make sure muslims feel like they are part of the solution, not part of the problem. Because to alienate all Muslims is definitely counterproductive when I think 
Muslims can be the biggest bringers of change within their own communities. And that includes ex-Muslims too, because in the end we are, you know, many of us have not left the community. So I think when Westerners scream Islamophobia at even genuine liberal criticism, that becomes part of the problem and that fuels the far right. And then when the far right tries to demonize all Muslims, then that fuels that part of the left, which tries to say it's nothing to do with religion, it's nothing to do with Islam. And I always see in the Islam critical scene people calling out the left for empowering the far right, but nobody ever brings up the point that the far right also empowers what they used to call the regressive left, but a term that makes me cringe now because of... (laughs) who's co-opted it and how overused it's become. Well, there's an understandable tendency on the left, I think, to, to want to refuse to engage with people who are at a sufficient level of bigotry. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> once a certain person becomes sufficiently bigoted, the left kind of just wants to go, well, that person is a racist. Like, I don't want to talk to them. And, and, and I do understand that because you don't want to empower these people. This is the, was the whole thing with like Milo Yiannopoulos and, and people like that. You don't want to empower them. I think that contributes to this like increasing polarization because if you if you refuse to engage with someone on the opposite side then you know they'll refuse to engage with you and you get this kind of like drifting further and further apart and then you do you do end up with both sides being fringe and it's it it's a really worrying trend mm-hmm. across the west right now this polarization I think it's quite dangerous It's very scary I often wonder like how far will it go like cuz it seems to be everyone is getting more and more extreme do we end up at a place where you have to pick a side between jihadis and nazis like I really don't want to yeah. end up there um, well, a lot of people are saying that with, you know, so like the Donald Trump thing, um, Bernie Sanders was originally going to run against him. And if you think about how completely far apart those two are, mm-hmm. and yet they kind of are seen now as they would have had an equal chance of winning, which is bizarre because they're not even remotely similar. Like mm-hmm. They're like opposite ends of the spectrum, and yet both of them had a good chance of winning. Like, doesn't that just show that half of the population is living in a different world to the other half and that cannot be good how do you bridge yeah, and that even, um, yeah and i saw um among several um voters that they said well now that bernie sanders is out of the race i'm not going to vote for hillary clinton yeah, i'll yeah. go and vote yeah. trump so they yeah. wanted this protest vote maybe perhaps I, i'm not sure and it didn't matter whether it was on the right or on the left mm-hmm. um but they, they took an extreme position um, yeah and that's that's pretty scary. Yeah, that burn the house burn the house down kind of attitude, shake things up. I, yeah, yeah, I'm baffled by anyone who was going to vote for Bernie Sanders and then that didn't work out, so they voted for Donald Trump. Like, I mean, yeah, it baffles the mind. Yeah, that is yeah. like saying I want to eat chocolate, but I can't have it, so I'll eat, you know something off the floor i don't know it's just a weird <laughs> it's just a weird like jump of like what Why, how did you get from there to there like how i don't understand that's going to bring me a lot of hate saying that about trump isn't it <laughs> i'm hoping yeah. that i have uh, not many trump supporter listeners left i mean i don't know i don't know we'll see um so so sarah how do you you know since you're still connected to the religion. And it's funny, I I being an ex-Muslim, talking to you, a convert, I'm like holding myself back from being like, why? 
pray the whole time. Like, why would you convert to Islam? You know, I don't want to be a douchebag, so I'm not going to put you on the spot. Some of my family were the same. Some of my family were the same because um, I have some atheists in my family, uh, and then I went and converted to Islam. And there were two two reactions. One was. Oh, you, you left Christianity. You were so close to becoming an atheist. You were so close. And we had a beer together and you were nearly there. And then, oh, you went off into Islam. Like, what were you thinking? Um, oh, it's fine. I mean, they, they support me and everything is fine, but they just think it was a bit of a strange thing to do. To be um, fair, sometimes Twitter atheists uh, make me want to convert to Islam. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was saying that the other day, like I'm kind of tempted to just become like a hardcore Christian sometimes just to be like, fuck you to these guys, you know, <laughs> of course, nobody please take that literally. I don't actually mean that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was just making a joke, but yeah. Yes. So Sarah, <laughs> how do we bridge this gap? How can we, how can people who are not Muslim connect with Muslims better? What are like some helpful attitudes to have after these kinds of attacks? That's really tough um, because you know you see many different possible reactions, like um, people wearing hijab, for example, that we mentioned before, mm. um, which I don't think is I don't think help. Yeah, um, because I'm isolated where I am in in Italy from British Muslims and um, other Muslims in general who share the same language as me. Um, my approach has been connecting with people on a on a personal level, on a one-on-one level. And the problem is that that takes a really long time. And if you don't have that many people doing it, that's going to take you forever. Mm. Um, but if you can encourage more and more people not to make big, huge, grand gestures but just to interact with the Muslims they see in their daily lives um, and, and, and making those personal connections. Eventually, I would hope that you would have enough that when someone does say something extreme about Muslims, you can say, OK, well, this Muslim, these Muslims have done some pretty awful things that I disagree with. But I also know that there are other Muslims who don't do that. And so you have um, you can see from your own personal experience they're not this huge monolithic group. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that there are many Muslims who share similar views to me, maybe not all of them, but maybe some of them, um, either related to secularism, a- against being supportive of ex-Muslims, and maybe they don't want to say it publicly because there's still maybe this fear of backlash for them. Because it's very easy for me to say a lot of these things that I say because I don't have a Muslim family mm-hmm. who might disagree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got this kind of buffer that I'm protected by, mm-hmm. you know, I can say things about ex-Muslims and I don't have any fear about anyone attacking me. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is something that the, a lot of people don't have. Um, so it's very easy for me to say, Oh, I think these Muslims who agree with me, I think they should voice their opinion. Yeah. It's maybe easy for them. I think, um, that's... But I think somehow encouraging them to be more open uh, in their views, even if it's just hinting at it at first and then slowly, um, being more open I think that would help but yeah. um, I don't have a big plan um, mm-hmm. for solving these things you know I, I know I know that um, his speech drew a lot of ire uh, Riz Ahmed at the House of Commons yeah, but I don't know, I don't know if you guys saw that speech well I mean especially on atheist Twitter people oh. didn't like it like but 
he said this thing about us having to create this new inclusive national story that includes Muslims and all types of people in this, what it means to be British and and how we think of ourselves as a nation. And I think that would help us come together. You know, I think if if your nationalism includes people of other faiths and and, and, and stuff like that, then it's not that bad. Then it's okay. That's something that we can all take part in together we can be all be british patriots whether we're muslims or christians or atheists and i think that's a good thing i don't understand really why people reacted so badly to it. i think they took it as him saying if you don't give muslims a space in britain then they'll you know do terrorism or something i don't think well yeah literally what one person said to me uh was he's saying that if you don't give muslim actors roles they're gonna we're going to blow you up or something yeah, like that. Yeah, come on. Like, how could you have listened to that speech and taken that away from it? <laughs> I mean, there's, could there be a clearer sign that you are just seeing what you want to see? Yeah, I mean, all, all he was saying is that it was a call for diversity, I know, which is already, uh, you know, a hashtag triggering for some <laughs> anti-PC folk, right? It's become this anti-SJWism is its own kind of SJWism where, oh, yeah. where every small thing is a problem. Like... Uh, like just a call for diversity is so upsetting to you. I don't, I mean, I am really dismayed that that is, that is a thing and that people would be surprised that I'd be supportive of that kind of thing. Like I, I've written two books about, you know, two children's books about diversity and being accepting of diversity. Obviously I'm going to support that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, it's becoming mainstream on the right as well to think of diversity as just this complete weakness that erodes society and diversity is within. is code is code for white genocide. <laughs> is the meme right and and you know what and like it's like someone said on twitter that like um you know people saying about look at like berlin and london and all of these places like you're describing some of the most successful cities in the world and they're the most diverse like yeah it, it is just it's just a fear of of the other isn't it and it's just a uh retreat into racial identity almost I, I think religious identity as well but even that is a lot of the time drawn along racial lines yeah I mean um, I think uh, Riz Ahmed was saying something very important there when he said that we have to tell better stories right yeah. uh, that we have like when young boys are seduced by this idea that they're going to go be like heroic fighters and go into battle and get these virgins or whatever that story is in their head it's glamorous for them so if you start telling a better story in the media in pop culture these things are really powerful tools and if you start including muslims in a non-stereotypical role i think that's very powerful and why not use the tools that we have at our disposal that are far more powerful than anything ISIS would have. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. And that's why, I mean, I, I do I do write books like that for kids that do include, you know, diverse ideas about what Muslims are and uh, diverse pictures of what Pakistanis are because I think that's that's a really good way to to get the idea across. Yeah, you know, and I think as well that 
people really critique multiculturalism. They, they think it's like at the root of all of these things. And I understand the desire to, to be concerned about having people with vastly different cultures living together. But I think as long as you agree on some real ground rules and some real fundamentals, it's not so much of a problem, you know? No, I don't think people are generally, like, freaking out about, like, Indian culture in Britain. In fact, it's kind of become integrated into our own. Like, we have, yeah. you know, curries that only exist in the UK, and we have so many Indian restaurants. But yeah, but a few, as- you know, a few decades ago, and you would have heard a lot of the similar kind of fear-mongering and bigotry. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And, and, and I think as long as we agree on these basic things, you know, like gay rights and rights of women and stuff, that, uh, that a lot of people on the right are ostensibly concerned about a lot of the time that falls away as soon as you know you, you, their true colors show sooner or later and they're not actually concerned about that what they mean is they want to use that as an excuse to get yes. rid of all the muslims yeah but yeah, you know sure. i think that, that there's nothing there's no fundamental obstacle for people to to hang on to their cultural traditions and stuff and live in another country um as long as people agree on some fundamentals like human rights and stuff like that i don't i don't see it as causing an issue well that's the thing right there's a type of multiculturalism that is you know just everything is equal and everything we must value whether it's niqabs in the courtroom or burqas in the classroom that kind of bullshit you don't have to respect everything but you can still be a very strong uh diverse multicultural society while laying down some ground rules that we don't compromise on just like you said like you know making our curriculums lgbt friendly or whatever something that we're struggling with right now with religious populations in canada as our schools try to make that happen in ontario um with the sex ed curriculum but but this is the thing they get they get a bit scared by minorities screaming bigotry. And so we have to work around that. We have to stop being afraid of this accusation. When you know what you're doing is right, when you know that it is not bigoted to have a kid's book with a gay Pakistani in it, that's not bigoted. Whatever other Pakistanis are saying that this does not represent our culture, we do not have gays in our culture and you're being a bigot, that's not, yeah, I mean, come on, surely we have the ability to distinguish between true bigotry and people just using bigotry as a cover, right? Yeah, well, I mean, and even people in the Muslim world are like latching onto this idea of criticism of Islam or like trying to promote LGBT causes as some sort of like Western imperialism, cultural imperialism. I've seen that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, another thing like we just because someone calls something bigoted or calls you a racist or whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are like, it's something we shouldn't be quite so scared of. We should be aware of it. Absolutely. Like if someone says something you're doing is bigoted or like is offensive to them, then yeah, sure. Like at least consider it or or try and find a way to make things more inclusive but that doesn't mean compromising on base values i don't think it ever means that right right exactly but see the the other reaction has been that there's been a group of people that are now saying basically everything is everything that is accused of being racism or bigoted is that kind of nonsense when it's actual racism right so this kind of frivolous use of racism has provided a cover for actual racists or actual anti-Muslims 
to say, well, no, you're just doing that thing where you just say that something's bigoted just because we're rightfully criticizing your religion. So this is something that uh, we in in the atheist community, I'm not even sure, like I put myself in that camp quite anymore, <laughs> but um, like... The conversion <laughs> has begun. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know, maybe I'll be a Buddhist or something. That's pretty unoffensive, right? Um, uh, but, <laughs> I don't know. I can send you some threads. I think I'll just call myself non-religious. That's usually quite unthreatening. But anyway, um, we, we've been warning about this for a while. And this is before the sort of Dave Rubin kind of like anti-SJW stuff started, the regressive left stuff, that if you keep calling everyone racist, if you keep calling everyone Islamophobic, bigoted or whatever, then what are you going to call people who are actually racist? Like mm, those people yeah, then just come in and say, oh, you know, the left, they just call everything racist. So, well, like, it's you know, true. Ignore. And that's what's happened, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and then it becomes meaningless. Just, right. Yeah, but that's what he does with SJW. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing on the right now as well. Yeah. SJW doesn't mean anything. It means you disagree with me, basically. Yeah. But, you know, and we have this problem now of if someone calls Richard Spencer a racist, then people are like, oh, well, you know, is he a racist? And he's like, no, well, you know, the typical left using racism to silence my valid views. Or whatever, you know? <laughs> Funny and you should got- say that because that's an actual thing that happened on a Dave Rubin interview with Lauren Southern. I think she did accuse the left of getting even criticism of Richard Spencer are wrong like oh he's not a he's not racist see how wrong they are like he's just a white nationalist like oh gosh yeah you can use that you can use that as a white nationalist as a as a far-right person as a uh, apologist of radical islam you can use these things to say ah oh, well people will call everyone that so it's just meaningless now so it doesn't apply to me it just it's, it becomes this devaluation of language which is really toxic and really dangerous because mm-hmm. you just can't suddenly you don't have a label for the people who are really dangerous anymore right. and they can just they can just shrug off these labels because everyone else shrugs them off right and so abused. exactly yeah if they see oh. everyone saying oh well i'm not racist because this term doesn't mean anything anymore yeah i i, I would yeah. agree with that so i get people who say that i'm um anti-muslim what um because of the things I say. And I have to remind them, like, I'm Muslim myself. <laughs> I don't hate myself. Um, yeah. But I, I, it doesn't happen as often. It doesn't happen that often, but it does happen that sometimes someone will say to me, well, that's, it's racist or it's uh, um, anti-Muslim. And of course, when someone says that to you, it's quite a dramatic thing, or at least for me anyway. So when it happens to you, I'm like, oh my goodness, was I racist? Was I anti-Muslim? And <laughs> well, I you have a, it, and I think, no, I wasn't. You have um, a confusing <laughs> identity to deal with, right? Because in the white ethno state, you would still be welcome, or maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you might be welcome in the caliphate yeah, well, and the white um, ethno state. So who Going are back, you really? Are you a jihadi um, no. or are you a Nazi? I had um, so I, I saw an internet comment once that spoke about me and it said like Sarah is like a madrasa experiment gone wrong, half Muslim, half atheist, <laughs> and like this, it was bizarre, really bizarre. And sort of I'm like working for atheists, but like anti-Muslim atheists, and by pretending to be Muslim or so I don't know. It yeah. was very. Very, very bizarre. But um, one thing I noticed about um, the attack in London was that the um, the attacker was called British-born. Yeah. Now, I share a lot of labels with this terrorist. I'm British. Yeah. I'm a convert. I'm an English teacher. He was an um, English teacher as well? 
I'm, yeah, he, for a time he was an English teacher. I read, oh, yeah. um, I think, in yeah, the Yeah, he was. Yeah, he um, went to Saudi Arabia, I think, to do English, teach English. Oh, dear. So, you know, so many things that are similar labels that I have. In fact, I think it was about 50% of my Twitter bio was the same <laughs> as, this, as this man. And then, um, the, but the difference was that I'm always referred to as British. I've never been referred to as British-born. Right. And yeah. at first, I, yeah. I thought that was quite odd. And then um, someone said, a, quite a few people said a counter-argument to that, that maybe it's just they wanted to emphasise that he's not, he wasn't a refugee. Yeah, I think um, if you... Uh, there uh, yeah. a lot of people speaking about that, saying, like, for example, Tommy Robinson saying, yeah. you know, oh, it must be someone who's come over here, yeah. you know, on boat, um, et cetera, um, and dehumanising um, refugees and things. But... So I thought that was quite interesting because I've never been referred to as British born. I'm always British because, I mean, I can't hide my whiteness. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. But I think the refugee point is probably what they're trying to get across. Like if you... Yeah. So I think maybe I overreacted when I first saw it and I thought, oh, I, I just I had the that same reaction that you did. Uh, mm. I, I, when you just said British born, I was like, oh, that's that's bad. And then, I, and then when yeah, you said exactly. South so and I, I was like, oh, I no, think, I get it now. <laughs> I think even people who like to think of themselves as quite balanced <laughs> um, can nowadays we tend to tr- see racism everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or read into things. Um, this is why I don't I'm like the term Islamophobia because mm. it, it, it conflates bigotry towards Muslims with criticism of Islam. Do you think that's fair, Sarah? I, yeah, I would say that's fair because I have criticism of Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly don't want to be called Islamophobic mm. um, because I'm a Muslim myself and I'm criticizing my my own group, if you like. Right. But yeah. I just because I'm part of the group doesn't mean I'm somehow more... Um, I have more authority to criticize it than someone outside who's also affected... Yeah. Um, by, by this group um, or who once was a member of this group. Yeah. Um, so I would I would say that's fair. And I try now to use the term anti-Muslim bigotry or anti-Muslim hate rather than Islamophobia. And I will use that until that loses meaning, <laughs> basically. And then yeah. we have to find another term for it. But um, Well, I think it's yeah, so precise. It's hard to misuse that. Like, I don't think you can use that in the case of criticism of Islam. Like, it's not anti-Muslim bigotry to say... Uh, you know, Islam sometimes doesn't appear to be great religion for women in some ways. How is that anti-Muslim? It's anti-Islam maybe, but, you know, there are some clear verses that you can point to that are pretty anti-woman. So, yeah, it's another tactic for silencing people speaking about issues like, you know, the, the Russians have started calling things Russia phobia. Yeah, or I whatever. saw that. You know, this, is a t- this is a tactic that it can be applied in a lot of different contexts. You just say that something is something phobic and then you're, you know, if you say it, then you're a racist. It's, yeah. it, it's kind of a, it, it's a way to, I don't think everyone uses it to silence debate deliberately don't get no, me wrong. Some people actually use it to mean anti-Muslim bigotry, but it's just a term yeah. that's bad. So I think it it can be replaced. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I saw, you know, there's a hashtag trending today about wanting to hang a Pakistani blogger for blasphemy. And I saw a guy using that uh, in the hashtag saying, oh, Islamophobic atheists are jumping in to defend this guy that should be hanged. It's like, what? What? No way. Yeah. It's like, really, is it Islamophobia to defend someone from 
hanging for blasphemy. That is it's yeah. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, but just to just to wrap things up now, let's let's just close off with maybe like an attitude that's unhelpful and an attitude that's helpful going forward, just so that people can be more aware of what kind of things can bring us together and what kinds of things are just counterproductive when tackling these types of things. Uh, yeah, there was a new one that I saw. Maybe it's not entirely new, but uh, there was this video shared around from this uh, journalist, Simon Jenkins, who talked about basically how the BBC was complicit in aiding and abetting the terrorists because basically they didn't, they covered it as a terrorist attack rather than just an ordinary crime. And, and he was saying that, you know, the, the coverage is disproportionate in terrorism and, and we just, we're helping the terrorists by what? doing that. And I, I really thought that was a really strange, and I saw a lot of people share that. I don't know if you guys did, but a lot yeah, of people I did shared as well. that. I did. Yeah, and they agreed with it. And I found it very strange. I found it a very strange attitude to basically be like, um, you know, if you cover this too much, then you're helping terrorism. I think, you know, if someone runs down a bunch of people in the middle of London and stabs a policeman, that is top news. Yeah, you know? I don't understand And also that. the fact that it's, you know, things are only news because they're not really that common as well. Yes, exactly, um, yeah. And and thankfully in London and, and in the UK, terrorism isn't that isn't that common. I mean, it is quite a... Um, we've, we've had several... Um, in, important incidents and significant incidents but um you know it hasn't we haven't had that many and i think a lot have been stopped as well um, yeah yes so, that's what you don't hear about so people think yeah exactly that the, the successes we don't hear about when they've managed to apprehend someone before they do anything yeah. um you know and it, and it is significant when you have a terrorist attack and it would be if it weren't being covered and if it weren't the top story i would be very concerned that we it's been normalized and we absolutely just yeah we don't care yeah. about it anymore well, we've just well, I mean, you know that, well that just happens yeah. in the uk now yeah well it's either, that or the, it's either that or the government is deliberately <laughs> trying to cover it up which i don't think is better yeah mm. um, well, what about this attitude of like conflating terrorist attack with only Islamic terrorist attacks. So I heard yeah, some people talk about how this is the first terrorist attack since Lee Rigby. Can you explain the Lee Rigby incident, one of you, just for listeners? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, so two um, Muslim guys in a car ran over Lee Rigby, who's a soldier, and attacked him with a machete. Um, this is just how in the middle of broad daylight. Sorry? How many years ago was it now? Uh, oh, I'm not sure, actually. Maybe, maybe I can't remember. 2013, maybe? I'm not sure. Mm, it was a little yeah. while ago now. Um, but yeah, um, and, I, and I think what you're getting at, I know, is that this wasn't the most recent terrorist attack. For a start, we had Thomas Mayer shoot Joe Cox exactly. in broad daylight, which was that, you know, I don't want to compare and contrast terrorist attacks, but that was very deeply shocking, I think, to a lot of people. Mm. I think that really resonated. Yeah. Um, and what was that? Can you explain that incident too, just in case so, there are some listeners that don't know what that incident sure. is? So, so Thomas Mayer was a um, far-right... He, he'd been influenced by a bunch of far-right groups. He'd been on forums and stuff like that. And Joe Cox was kind of like a pro-immigration member of parliament, and he basically shot her and stabbed her in broad daylight and killed her. While um, screaming Britain first. 
while screaming Britain first. It was a clear, mm. I mean, it was the cl- clearest cut case of right wing terrorism you could you could yeah. see. And he also repeated that in court, if I remember rightly. He also said something like death to infidels or something. No, death to uh, infidels. What was yeah. it he said in court? He said something that made it very, very clear that this was, um, you know, a terrorist attack. Um, yeah, I can't. And that he had political motivation for this, that he wanted to. Um, bring about some kind of political end um, and stop. Um, I, don't, I think he might have also been influenced by sort of the, the term white genocide as well. I'm pretty sure he was influenced yeah. by different radical far-right groups. And yeah. also, yeah. recently, there was a guy in the States uh, who, who traveled, I forget to where, but just to kill randomly black men, he said, who, you know, he was afraid were like sleeping with white women or something like that. I'll link the story, but, but mm, this got very okay. little coverage. And yeah. some guy uh, replied <clears throat> to one of my comments in a thread of comments where I was like, you know, uh, it was another Riz Ahmed tweet where he said, Riz Ahmed is a British actor, um, where he said, I hope that we will pull together and not pull further apart or something like that. And I said something like, I don't know, solidarity or I hope so or something like that. And some person responded with, well, we can't do that if, you know, Muslims or or these people or something like, <clears throat> I forget the exact yeah. words, are trying to tear us apart all the time or attacking us all the time. And I was like, well, it's not just one party. Let's not forget that the far right also is very divisive <laughs> and that everyone needs to pull together and someone then responded to that and was like oh yeah well when was the last time a white nationalist killed uh, an innocent man in in the street (laughs) very recently and i was like like yesterday yesterday Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The the ignorance around it is ridiculous. And you know what? I'm not gonna pretend that far right terrorism is as bad as jihad is. No, it? not as at all. Course. You don't have to but take it to that level. Them, I mean, there's been some bad ones though. I mean Anders Brevik killed sixty eight people in one day. Right, and the Quebec mosque shooting just happened very Quebec recently. Quebec mosque shooting recently. that happened, you know, there was the, I mean there was this meme going around a little while ago of like right wing terrorism is a bigger threat in the US, it's killed more people uh, than jihad that that isn't true it was true for a short amount of time in like june 2015 i think there was like 48 people had been killed by right wingers and 26 by jihadists but that was before san bernardino yeah. and orlando and stuff so it's not true anymore but it still doesn't mean that we should just ignore yeah right-wingers. exactly yeah i mean 48 people being killed by right wingers you don't have uh, to downplay that jihadism is a problem you don't have to deny that you know far right ideology is a problem we can just acknowledge yeah. that both are and they're becoming yeah. bigger problems and they feed off of each other. Obviously, nothing compares to ISIS and Islamism. I have to say this, uh, you know, with every single thing I say, just to satisfy the but what about Islam people? Like, I remember posting a picture of my Christmas tree, which had a bunch of bats on it uh, around Christmas. And some guy was like, I don't know, he took it personally as some insult to Christianity, right? Yeah, He's like, yeah. oh, it must be it must be nice to be able to insult Christianity when you can't do something like that for Islam. And I'm wasn't, like... Literally. Wasn't there something when you, you two were having a conversation as well and some guy, like, jumped in? Oh, yeah, me and Sarah it. were talking about hosting a, an interfaith event with Satanists, possibly, and she was responding really well, and I'm like, this is awesome, like... 
you know, there's a Muslim person who organizes interfaith events. And if she can include Satanists, that could be the, you know, legendary. That could be progress. And we're having yeah, this conversation. Was, I remember that because it was very interesting you'd asked me because no one had ever asked me that question before. Yeah, and, and, and um, then some, some dude comes and in. It, and he's so it was like, an interesting discussion. Yeah, he was like, but what about Islam? Like, Islam is so much worse. Because you're like, you were kind of hesitant because you didn't really know what Satanism was. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know enough. And also, I think as my background as a Christian, I have an automatic, (laughs) I still have an automatic distrust. Like, oh my goodness, but a Satanist. Oh no, I can't. Oh no, couldn't possibly. Um, (laughs) So that was, yeah, that was really fascinating. Um, But you often get someone coming in and saying, what about Islam? Like, Islam is much worse. Yeah, but you... uh, by, oh, the one I get a lot is um, by wearing hijab, you are um, like enabling all of this, all of this terrorism. All of the terrorism. You're enabling oh it. Oh, my. Wow, that is yeah, a lot of that, power I mean, you have, Sarah. I, know, I didn't realize I had to Just take it off and all of this would be solved. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, yeah I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> Why did we spend so long discussing what ways we can use to tackle this when all you have to do is take your hijab off? Why didn't you tell us this? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also would say in my mind because a lot of people say you know hijab I obviously have impaired judgment so I mean I took <laughs> off my hijab for this interview thank goodness you know it was an audio and yeah, yeah, I didn't have yeah. to wear it and then... <laughs> are you immodest um, right now? <laughs> well I don't want to say <laughs> I did brush my teeth before the interview <laughs> some guy sure. is getting really excited that your hair is showing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even over audio, you can hear it. Um, but anyway, to uh, to circle back around to your question, I know about bad reactions to attacks and good reactions to attacks. I think the the the, the bad ones for me are obviously the anti-Muslim bigotry. That's bad. Uh, you know, talking about incompatibility of cultures and stuff like that, especially when London has a Muslim mayor, just seems ridiculous to me. Um, and he's a pretty already, good mayor from what I see. Like, he's on top yeah, of things. I like him. I he's like spoken him. I mean, out about he, anti-Semitism and, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah, I think that was the first thing he did when he took office, actually, I think, was go to um, um, an event about anti-Semitism. It's or, so I think good it for him to visibly do this as a, as a Muslim mayor. So that I'm, I'm really pleased to see that. And he, yeah. I mean, he does get criticism from Muslims because yes, a lot he does, of yeah. think, oh, well, you know, he's not... Is he really Muslim? Oh, you yeah, know, of course. And you, you, you know, so you do get people saying s- silly criticism on all sides. Yeah. Um, but no, I think he's doing a pretty good job. I mean, some, I can't remember. He said something recently that I thought, oh, I don't really like what he said. But I mean, I think if you had a mayor and you agreed with everything, yeah, yeah, he, that would be weird. <laughs> that, yeah, that would, yeah, that would be disturbing. That doesn't so, happen. Uh, really. No, exactly. No, he's doing a pretty good job. I think. Yeah, I um, think so. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so so that's so. So that's. That's one. Uh, and the others would be uh, kind of we, t- we touched on briefly, like the kind of what aboutery with like foreign policy, like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we brought this on ourselves and the, the mm-hmm. media coverage were helping terrorism. Um, and uh, again, the, the nothing to do with Islam thing, I think, isn't helpful. Um, the, I mean, the good things are the um, Andrew Neil, like saying unity, solidarity, courage. And um, fuck you, Islamists. 
And fuck you, Islamists. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, some honest discussions of the problems of extremism in Britain. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and and denouncing anyone who jumps in, like Tommy Robinson, to use it to fuel like hate against immigrants when immigrants didn't have anything to do with it. And like, right, and there he was are, like, so sure in that interview. I don't have my head up my ass. That's why I know this was a foreign attack. And you, you know, yeah. you're going to import a culture. His his co-host was saying like, then you're going to get this. This is a culture of terrorism and. There are, there are over a looking. million Muslims that live in London, and this was one guy. You know? And he was not imported. No, no, he was. He was. Yeah, he was a British British born citizen. Yeah. I think <laughs> British born. Term. Yeah. So yeah, I think British people have to own that they have their own brand of uh, radicalization that's not foreign. It's very, very yeah, British. Yeah, and it's very particular. I think you were touching on before how yeah. British Islam is or some forms of British Islam are uh, very different to others uh, to in America, for example. And I think that's true. British Islam has taken on its own flavor, if you like, and it Mm. um, manifests in in different ways. And you could have this, you know, sort of strict extreme form, and you can also have um, Muslims who are more progressive and more liberal and have different, uh, yeah, it's influenced by the country that it's in. And I don't think you can really say that British Islam is you cannot separate it from Britain now mm-hmm. um, because yeah. it's so deeply embedded. Mm. Yeah. Especially if you've been, you know, you were born in Britain and you've been raised in British education system with British television, with British people, etc. And um, I think you know, one good thing is your way of thinking and, that, and, and your faith. That Britain is doing really well now is the TV shows that they have. Like they have such great documentaries like uh what was it muslim drag queens and they had uh what was the one with the house where they like a reality show where they had like different types of muslims live together which many muslims were angry about but yeah that was fascinating i thought it was fantastic like this is how you normalize muslims this is how you start discussions and show the diversity that that program really showed all the way from the very extreme, which I thought one of the dudes was really, really extreme. I don't even know if he should have been allowed think, onto um, TV, but... I think it was called Muslims Like Us. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was, yeah. Yeah. And uh, now I'm seeing another hashtag. I haven't seen the show, but it's called Very British Muslims or something. Yeah, yeah, I think I've seen that. I haven't, I haven't, well, I haven't seen the documentary, but I've heard about it. But yeah, I think these are really good ways to start these conversations, right? To show that Muslims can range in religiosity, to show that there can be Muslim drag queens. These are such good ways to do it. And of course, that's going to piss off the conservative Muslims. So be it. I think you need to piss off some conservative Muslims. (laughs) You know, probably one of the best things that happened for uh, British Muslims in recent times is uh, Nadia Hussein winning the uh, Great British Bake Off. Right, I keep Uh, hearing about that. Yeah, Yeah, visible hijabi winning, uh, you know, basically what is a British institution. Mm. I think people actually met the queen and everything. Yeah. Well, she, yeah, she this, baked for the queen. She was trusted with baking a cake for the queen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I mean and, and being trusted with serving food to royalty is right. quite something. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. This is what, so, what Riz Ahmed meant, meant, right? He means exactly. uh, creating these stories. This, this is a story. She's a mm. success story of yeah. a, a person who is British, both British and visibly Muslim. And I think yeah. that's... Mm. 
That's inclusivity, right? And that's not about glorifying the hijab. That's something that I try to stress the difference. Exactly. If you just show hijabis, like, just matter of fact, as normal people, I think that's, that's fine. But people tend to conflate that. So they kind of get angry about just any representation, visual representation of hijabis, as if it's some kind of glorification or romanticizing yeah. of the modesty concept when it's not. And yeah. I think that hijabis already exist among us, so they should be portrayed in our stories. But Absolutely. they I mean, I, should I, I not so be long. championed as this fantastic, modest woman, yeah. you know, that's the problem. That's the problem that people need to separate. I think when yeah. they talk about things like modest revolution or, you know, it being a tool of empowerment, just just do not make the hijab the center of it. Like that Nike, like mm-hmm. Nike creating the athletic hijabs. I honestly, I didn't see the problem with it because hijabis exist. And if they want to exercise, why not create a product for them to exercise in with breathable yeah. cloth? I agree, but yeah, I mean, I... there are many things. There are many things you can criticize about, um, you know, big companies cashing in yes. on uh, this, you know, halal Muslim friendly friendly industry that's yeah. worth you know billions of, of dollars, and that's fine. There's but Muslim think, sex um, shops which make no sense to me. <laughs> they have I've the same. Yeah, I was interviewed I for an that. article about that, um, like last year. I'll send you guys a link. But yeah, they have the same sex toys, the exact same things. It's just but it's called but it's called halal or something. It's just called that's, the Muslim sex shop. Bizarre. I don't know why. That's bizarre. That's bizarre. Having their own se- separate like these <laughs> butt plugs are Muslim. <laughs> these butt plugs are very Islamic. Like halal butt plugs. Yeah. <laughs> Is that going to be a hashtag after this? <laughs> yeah, tweet at us halal butt plugs if you're still listening. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so the Nike hijab thing, uh, you can you can criticize that, but the company's cashing in on this stuff, but that's yeah. a criticism of really capitalism being icky, right? And just cashing yeah. in on every little thing that it possibly can. I sort of feel like, you know, if after the point you're being exploited by a company in that way, you've kind of arrived. It's like being on TV, <laughs> being on trash TV in the UK. I mean, if... You know, you're not being on a documentary that's like an elevated high culture documentary. If you're just in everyday daily TV, um, even bad TV, um, and if, you know, then that's, it's, it's normal, isn't it? Maybe you could westernize the hijab so much that the uh, Iranians make all their women take it off and the Saudi Arabians (laughs) make them all, they're just like, this is a symbol of Western capitalism. This is a symbol of Britain, all these women wearing this hijab with a British flag and a night symbol. Yeah. Well, to yeah. some extent, I mean, I think the hijab is better uh, reclaimed than the the niqab never can be unless it's, I don't know, reclaimed in some sort of BDSM fetish environment. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. possible. Yeah. Um, but the hijab, I mean, it's, you know, appearing in Playboy. It's, a, it's pissing off a lot of conservative Muslims as well. So it's a complicated it's a complicated thing. It's still a symbol mm. of modesty because majority of women who have to wear it, and I'm counting the whole world, is do not do not get a choice. And that's the problem, right? It's not just a 
a scarf like you'd wear in the winter, it's something that holds a meaning. And until it keeps holding that meaning, people will keep criticizing it. But what I want to stress is the difference between providing access to women who otherwise may not get it. Like even the burkini, I'm not for modest swimsuits, but I don't see the problem with creating a modest swimsuit. And, um, you know, like if you're not going to get to go to the beach otherwise. Yeah, then I think it's really so. Can I tell you about my burkini? Yeah, please do. (laughs) I tried to get you on my burkini panel, but you were, I don't know, on holiday those days. Yeah, so maybe I was on holiday wearing my burkini. Ah. So um, I I bought this thing because I wanted to go to the beach. Um, And I don't really like the beach. I don't like the sun. Um, so a bikini for me is perfect because I don't No, I'm just really pale. <laughs> okay. So, um, I wanted to have this bikini so I wouldn't burn in the sun and I'd be covered as well. Cause I didn't want to wear, you know, normal clothes. So, yeah. um, bought it. I made a really bad judgment on the color because I went for <laughs> black and yellow. So I look like a giant bumblebee. <laughs> like, is it striped? It's not striped, but it, it, I, I look like a big bumblebee like, or a wasp. Like, I, I don't look good. It's not flattering. I know it's, it's not flattering. But that's it looks the point. like a swimsuit, like a wet. You're not going to arouse any lust. Yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't going for a flattering look, but it's really comfy. <laughs> and I could swim, and I haven't been swimming in, in years. So I, I, I went swimming in it. I went to an Italian swimming pool and. I'm not a very good swimmer. I was a bit self-conscious anyway. And then I have this like yellow and black thing that makes me look like an insect. And then I went into the swimming pool and everyone was wearing swimming caps um, and obviously a swimming costume. And I got into the water and a lifeguard came over to me uh, and he said, I'm afraid you're not allowed to wear that in here. Um, And I said, oh, why? Like, why why can't I wear this um, in here? And he said, oh, well, it's not regulation because it's not hygienic. And I said, well, you, well, first I got upset because whenever there's any confrontation, I cry. Oh, no. I'm really not presenting myself. It's awful because now everyone's looking at me. It's like this giant crying, oppressed bumblebee. (laughs) It was such a tragic sight. And I'm not really doing my part to defend the idea that women are, are, you know, (laughs) can do anything because I'm just crying. And I'm saying like, why, why can't I wear this? Why isn't it? I because the whole point of being in the swimming pool was covering your hair mm. yeah and this you know the ones they showed in france like they, looked, they looked a lot like the wetsuits right so yeah exactly so I, I couldn't understand why and i think this man was really nervous about me wearing this in and he didn't maybe he'd never seen anyone wearing one before mm. um and he, he just wasn't sure how to react. And then, of course, I start crying and then everyone's looking at me um, and he backed off because he thought, oh, my goodness, I don't want to be the one who you know causes a scene with this, this poor girl. Who's, um, so, but the thing for me was that wearing it gave me an opportunity to go swimming where I might not have gone otherwise. Yeah. Um, and I think that's better than having, you know, just women only sessions for swimming and stuff, which I yeah. think there's a place at because I'm, I know many women who aren't Muslim who also like going to women only sessions and that's fine. Um, but I think this provides the opportunity to, to go swimming uh, for many, for many people to do sport. And although, you know, you could think that the hijab is not empowering and, and you could have a very good argument for that. I think being able to go out and do sport is empowering. Right, exactly. Um, I do or not, it doesn't really matter. 
you're getting out. And maybe, you know, if someone is being oppressed by someone or they're, or they're being forced to wear hijab, maybe this one thing is something that gives them um, an opportunity to, to do something that they want to do. And maybe that will lead to something else. Um, you know, and, and you can see many Muslim women now coming up in professional sport even as well. I just um, wish they didn't make that about the hijab. It's great that they yeah. are, but that fencer yeah. in the Olympics, they only celebrated her because of her hijab while ignoring the other yeah, Muslim I, woman who was running in a tank top and shorts, right? So that's the yeah. problem. Yeah. And that's what people don't yeah, understand the subtlety. The hero and the other yes, it, yeah, it, it has to be opposed that. when it's about the glorification of the hijab. But you don't have to oppose the hijab just you know, in every visual representation of it. I do understand with the Nike thing, there was a bit of confusion, like their line is called Nike Pro. So the hashtag became Nike Pro Hijab. And I don't think necessarily it meant their Pro Hijab. It's just their, like their Nike Pro line. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. it's, it's someone really bad in marketing, you know, didn't think that through. So yeah. I, did, I didn't know about that. That's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so these are the subtleties. If people could recognize some nuance, this discussion could be so much better, right? There doesn't need to be denial. There doesn't need to be projection on everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, yeah, that's it. So maybe, Jason, you can leave us with some thoughts on how London is at the time being, how it is, like what the feel is of the city, what it was like yesterday when you were at work. Sure. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like, so I'm on uh, a chat app called Slack with work. So I was in communication with them on the day that it happened. And um, someone just posted the article in the chat channel. And then basically no one said anything about it other than that. It was just like a normal news story that's happened. So people weren't cowed. People weren't panicking. Uh, And when I went on on Friday, honestly, if I didn't know there had been an attack, I wouldn't have known. Um, There was no like crazy police presence. People weren't looking all terrified and looking around at anyone with brown skin or anything like that. It was fine. There was, there was no difference. And in London, is resilient and London carries on. So uh, I, I, I didn't, I don't think it has knocked us quite as much as Katie Hopkins would like you to believe. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad yeah. uh, London is resilient and things like that really can't, you know, they can't scare us. We have to keep going on. Otherwise, we let them win, right? We can't let them think that they have scared us yeah well i mean they can scare us but so what <laughs> it's not going to change anything about how we live our lives i'm still going to get on the truth that's and I'm the not thing gonna be exactly exactly yeah, yeah so uh, you know um uh what did andrew neil say uh they can hurt us and sometimes it's more than we can bear but they'll never defeat us and i think that is true sounds yeah. a bit dramatic coming out of my mouth but you know <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining me and giving me uh, your time and your valuable perspectives. I think it was a great discussion. We covered a lot. Yeah, it was was really good to talk to you again and and be on. And talk to you as well, Sarah. Oh, thank you. It was lovely to get to know your opinions as well. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me on. Awesome, guys. Take care. I'll see you out there on Twitter. Yeah. Thanks, Anna. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. <laughs>